Good morning, LCM. Today is November 17th, 2019. The title of today's sermon is Finish Strong, Fear Not. Somebody say, Fear Not. Fear Not. Turn to Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3. Isaiah 35 and verse 3. See, on Wednesday night, we started a series entitled Finish Strong. Because we want to encourage you that what the Lord has been doing in our church, in our lives for many, many months in a row now, that we need to go ahead and complete these works that He is doing in us. Last Sunday we had a sermon entitled, Chiseled by Pastor Eric. Incredible sermon. Talking about the Lord's testimony being founded in us. Monday night we studied 2 Samuel 6 in Foundations. We learned so many things about advancing our heart. Last Wednesday night, we had Finish Strong increasing in his testimony. Friday night, we had a Talmudim teaching on how to model and follow the model of the Lord. Man, it's almost like the Lord is trying to help us. That's just the official meetings that we had this week. Isaiah 35 and 3, are you there? It says, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts. Anybody ever had a fearful heart? Anybody ever just been worried? Full of anxiety? Anxious? Insecure? Say to those with fearful hearts. That's every man and woman and child in this room today. Say to us today, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. <laughs> See, you can focus on the, uh, what you feel like is a negative version of his vengeance coming, or you can understand the attitude that he comes with. He's not just yeah. coming to help you like, uh, I'll get there in a few minutes. I know Paul McElwick needs me, but uh, I'm a little busy. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, church. Your God will come. He will come. Not only will he come, but he'll come with vengeance. Yeah. He'll come not only with vengeance, but he'll come with divine retribution. Not only with vengeance and divine retribution, he will come to save you. Boy, if you still have a fearful heart after you realize how the Lord is going to come to you and that he will save you, it's because you're in the habit of hearing the words but not actually believing the words in your heart. You're actually trusting in the fear more than you're trusting in what God is saying. We're going to continue our Finish Strong series today. Rest assured that we're going to look at every section of the Bible today. Just relax. We're going to absolutely get through it a couple of times over. I promise. But today, the framework of our message is going to be out of Isaiah 43. Everybody turn to Isaiah 43. Put a bookmark there. Take your announcements and set it right in that spot. Because we're going to keep coming back to this. Because we want you to get what Isaiah 43 has to say. When you're there, say, fear not. Oh, look, turn to your neighbor and say, the pastor's talking to you today. So nobody's left out in the room. Isaiah 43, we'll start in verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Say, fear not. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. One of the first things that we look at in this passage is, but now this is what the Lord says. Who is saying this? The Lord. Does he ever lie? No. Does he ever tell just partial truths? No. Does he fulfill what he starts? Yes. 
So knowing that character of who the Lord is, the first thing that mentioned is he who created you. Today we're talking about the one, the Lord, Yahweh, God Almighty, who created every single person sitting in this room. His word was brought into your heart, resurrecting you from a wicked and sinful state and making you into a new creation. When we say that he has created you, he wasn't just hanging around on the outskirts in the very beginning of time. He is the very beginning of time. He wasn't just looking through a window at who you would become and who you are now. He is the very one whose hands have inscribed His Word by His Spirit upon your hearts, creating who you are and who you're called to be. He is the author and the perfecter of His testimony inside of you. But now, somebody say now. Now. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob. Oh. See, the Lord began by calling a specific man. A specific group of people by a very, very specific, in a very specific place. You see, now when you say, Oh, Jacob, he's going to go on to talk about Israel here in just a second, but right here he's saying, Yeah, the Lord says, I created you, Oh, Jacob. See, what you should be thinking about are the things that defined the man Jacob. You should be thinking about this unfinished, unformed, incomplete product that was Jacob. The man who was who was little sneaky, little tricky about in, in his dealings with everybody. And what God says is, I, fo- I created you, oh Jacob. See, this is where we're going to begin today, guy, uh, folks. We're going to begin here today with the idea that he has called you. He has created you. And he knows you by name. He knows exactly who you are. And he knows exactly what he intends to do in you. Listen to this next phrase. He who formed you, O Israel... Now, we have a change in name from Jacob that Pastor Wade just mentioned. Now we're talking about Israel. Y'all know the story of Jacob. Trickster, surplanter, always scheming to try and get God's will fulfilled in his own life, but by the strength of his own right arm. It didn't work out, but the God who created the man and the nation, Jacob, is also at work forming them into Israel, the prince with God. This relates to us. We were born surplanters. We were born tricksters. Those trying to work salvation and the will of God with our own strength, but are depending on God's same hand to form in us to become the prince with God. Isn't it good whenever you have a name change that elevates your status before the living God? When he's transforming that nature inside of you that wants to be rebellious to now one that wants to be kingly and princely before him? You and I must not only be created, we must be formed. So if you're taking notes, whether mentally or on paper in a one note, we are following a very clear linear path. We have created and we are now emphasizing the importance of being formed into what God wants to get out of us. You are created and then you must be formed. Don't we use those words interchangeably in our language? If you're created, you were formed. Both of them seem to be in the past tense. But you have been created in Christ. You have been given certain things, and yet there is a formation process that this church is undergoing. Yes. That you and I are undergoing right now. 
Not at some point in the distant past, not at some point yet to come, but today we are being formed. And so how do we need to address this? The very next phrase, do not fear. Somebody say, fear not. Fear not. Fear is the primary enemy of faith. It is public enemy number one in your life. Let's be honest about this. The reason that you make the mistakes that you do, the reason that you sin the way you do, is because you are afraid. Yeah. Wow, doesn't it simplify? No, Pastor, that, that really... No, no, you're afraid. Yeah. You are a fearful human being. The Bible compares us to sheep. You know why? Because sheep are afraid. And so what we begin, you're saying, Oh, listen to what the Lord says. Now I've created you, Jacob. Now I am forming you into Israel. But you know how that, you know what it's going to take for you to achieve this? Is to fear not. Amen. Man, when you put those two words together in the Hebrew, it happens in 78 verses in the Tanakh. 78 times fear not begins to, is, is being spoken by God to his people. I'm going to read you just the first and the last occurrence in the order of the Tanakh. Y'all ready with us? Keep your place in Isaiah 43. Turn to Genesis 15 and verse 1. Genesis 15, 1. Say, fear not when you're there. Fear not. After this. After this. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. Fear not, Abram, is the way that it says in the original language. I am your shield and your very great reward. The very first time in Scripture that it says, fear not, or the way it's translated here is, do not be afraid. I like do not be afraid. I am encouraged by that. But I think it's more powerful to say, fear not. Don't be afraid. Well, I'm a little afraid. No, you've got, you've got a fear problem. No, you've got a, you, you, we really have a fear problem. And so the Lord begins by speaking to Abram. The word of the Lord came to him in a vision. And what was the first thing said to Abram? Fear not. not. Because the Lord understands who we are. He understands that to accomplish the fact that he is going to be his shield and his very great reward. The fact that God is saying, I will be with you. He's starting off by saying, don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because he's with you. Don't be afraid. Because he's with you. This Attachment of these words happens over and over and over and over again. The reason that you are afraid is that you don't really think or have him with you. Fear not because God says, I'm going to tell you what happens when I'm with you. I'm your shield and I'm your very great reward. Let's look at the last time that it happens in the order of the Tanakh. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Turn there with me. Second Chronicles chapter 32. But pastor, this is not the last chapter in my version of the Older Testament. Yes, I know. But in the original Tanakh, this was the last. We're giving you the first and the last from the original order of the Bible. Second Chronicles 32, 7 says this, be strong and courageous. Fear not. Don't be discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. The first one, God is speaking to Abram and he's going to make, he's making promises, covenants with him. This last time, his people are actually standing before a vast army. Somebody say vast army. That's a big group. That's a lot of problems that they're looking at. They look like they are surrounded in every way by the enemy. As a matter of fact, they are. 
This is not their perception. This is the reality. And God's saying, be strong and courageous. Fear not. Don't you be discouraged. Doesn't that seem ridiculous? Out of all times in your life, you would go, Lord, we actually have a reason to be afraid this time. Maybe not yesterday, but today, Lord, there's a giant army with 185,000 men at least who are outside our gate and they want to kill us. They are mocking us. They are saying, hey, you go ahead and call what God can save you from our hand. Look here. Fear not. Don't be discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. With that king, it's just what he can do in his own strength. But with us, somebody say with us. With us. Fear not because he is with us. With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Today, church, you need to gain some confidence. We need to have an attitude that says, I'm going to quit worrying about the things that I'm worried about. I'm going to quit being so fearful. And I'm going to stand up and fight. Did you hear that over and over and over in our worship time today? It's time for us to get up and pick a fight. See, you're in a battle anyway. You're in a war anyway. You might as well go ahead and fight and have the attitude of the heavens that says, fear not. Yeah. I don't care how big the army is that's standing against you. I'm not even saying it's not a real army. What I'm saying is, is that he's with us and it doesn't matter the size of the army because he is going to help us and fight our battles. Pastor, by seeing these two bookmarks of fear not, Genesis 15 and 2 Chronicles 32, in the first one, You see the beginning and birthing of a nation through Father Abraham, right? A lot is riding on his shoulders, being obedient to God and what's to come. Then in 2 Chronicles 32, you have that very nation that was birthed from Abraham, now surrounded by the Assyrians and looking at being put to extinction. Are those some real problems? Now, let's put ourselves in light of these bookmarks. How insulting is it to God that after experiencing a radical transformation when we're born again, delivered from addiction to sin of whatever kind that may be, seeing miracle after miracle happen in our life, and we come to today and we are near abandoning our trust and covenant with God because we may overdraft by $30 in our bank account. That there may be some slight threat that we're not as well liked in our job and by our peers as we think that we should be. How insulting is it to the character of who God is? I'm talking about the God who takes, who created Jacob, who has formed Israel, who now stands in your midst, has put his divine testimony upon your shoulders and day after day sustains and increases your life for us to give any ground whatsoever to what fear is trying to lead us to do. We have a saying in this church that sin makes you stupid. I'll go to the next step. Fear makes you even stupider. I don't know if that's a real word. I just made that up. Or Yeah, we make up words as we preach. That's what we do. Fear not. Fear not, Pastor. <laughs> I shall not fear my verbal skills. Okay, amen. So as we, we pick up in this verse in Isaiah, he says again, fear not. For I have redeemed you. Everybody say redeemed. Redeemed. I have summoned you by name. Say summoned. Summoned. And you were mine. When he redeemed you, he did this by creating in you his 
divine nature. Every time I think of the word redeemed, I think of as a kid finding a Coke bottle on the railroad tracks and seeing printed on it 10 cents to redeem. I would bring that in and try to buy every ounce of candy that I could for 10 cents, which is usually one piece. But it was worth that one piece. How much more than does God desire to utilize you by redeeming you through the blood of his son? By creating in you his divine nature so that he can use you for the glory of his own name. Now, after redeeming you, I'm talking about that point of being saved. Is now he is going to summon you. Meaning that he is calling you by name. Calling you by that name that is to be equal with Israel. That prince with God. He's calling you to achieve that name. That body of work. That character. That reputation. Am I the only one in this room who has received from God a summoning to something that I cannot fulfill in my own strength? Even something that as I begin to attempt it, I fail again and again and again. And I begin to question, did I really hear from God about what he is summoning me to? But I have to, you have to absolutely demolish and crush that fear because it is spitting in the face of God. It is denying the request of his summoning for us to rise up to the name that he has called us to. In doing so, when we demonstrate that we have been redeemed and we walk in it, when we respond to the request of being summoned to the higher call, the name that he has given us, we are then his treasured possession. It says you are mine, which means that you belong to nobody else. What is fear constantly trying to do? It's trying to remove you out of that covenant with God and says that you are now in covenant with destruction and devastation and isolation from that name and that summoning that he's given you. We are trying to absolutely crush the effects of fear in every believer in this place, whoever is listening to it, because it is an enemy of the living God and the call that he's placed upon your life. Look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters. Everybody say, when you. When you. I will be with you. And when you. Say it again. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Here it is again. Say it with me. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze doesn't say if you were going to pass through waters, if you were going to pass through rivers, if you're going to have to walk through the fire. The Bible promises it. God, in the encouraging his people saying, fear not, he's saying, oh, when you do these things, I promise I'm going to be with you. Turn to, keep your place here and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. I want to ingrain this in you when you have the difficulties, yeah. not if. When you go through these things, God promises to be with you. Not if you're going to enter these problems. Why are we still surprised when we get to the problems? He says, when you, I will be with you. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you go to war. Not if you're going to go to war. When it happens. The inevitability in your life. Yes. Not just conceptually somewhere, but in your life. Somebody say, my life. My life you got to go to war. Yeah. Um, but I'm a pacifist. You can't be a pacifist and be in the kingdom. Not in your spiritual walk anyway. Because you're going to have to go to war. When you go to war against your enemies. And I love this. It's not just that you're going to go to war. And you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours. Yep. 
he promises that you're going to enter into wars against enemies that are better and bigger and stronger than you. Come on. <laughs> because the Lord who brought you out of... Uh, do not be afraid of them. Fear not, church. Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Amen. Wow. When you're about to go into battle. Why would he say this again? Is he just using a parallelism here? Is he saying war and battle? What if it's that you have a bigger problem that you got to get into and you got to fight it out? This is going to take a while. I have to fight for my family. I have to fight for my marriage. I have to fight for God's promises. Oh yeah, by the way, when you even fight the daily battles. Yeah. <laughs> when you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted and fear not. Mm. This is what the priest of LCM are doing for you today. Amen. Don't be faint-hearted. Yeah. Fear not in this place. Do not be terrified or give way to panic. Now, hang on just a second. Not just saying don't be afraid. Uh, don't be terrified. Not just I have a little bit of fear, Pastor. Now, we move beyond that, and now we're in the full-out terrified realm. And we move through terrified, and we get straight-up panicky. Y'all look at me like y'all ain't never panicked before. Some of y'all panicking right now going, does he know about my... Yes, we know. Of course we know about you. I am fully, I'm just full on panicked right now. Yeah, see, I left, I left fear hours ago. I left fear. I went right through fear, right on into terrified, and now I'm sitting in panic. Y'all laughing because you know it's true. Verse four, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Yeah. See, church, everybody say, when you. When we got to quit being surprised at what happens in our lives. We got to quit being downhearted when we encounter problems. The problems are for your good. Yeah. You need the problems. You need to work things out in your life. Because when you don't go to war, that's a bad thing for a Christian. Man, you get comfortable and you start thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. You start letting fears get away. When you're actually in the battle, you know what it makes you do? It makes you fight through your fears today. It does. It causes you to be encouraged today because the Lord is with you. Another one of the sayings that we have in recent uh, weeks and months is that when you are with God, He is with you. With you. Fear, panic, terror, faint-heartedness keeps you from being with God. Pastor, that's not just our saying, that's scripture. Yeah. That's 2 Chronicles 15, 2, I believe. When you are with God, he will be with you. Someone can check us on that, but I believe that it's in 2 Chronicles 15. This is not just a saying that we like. It's actually scripture teaching us how to engage with the Lord. We've been covering it over and over again in foundations in various scriptural forms. Seeing it as a, a mirror in our own lives that we have reversed what the scripture clearly says, meaning that we are expecting God to be with us before we're actually with him. Fear demands that God is with you first rather than you are with him. I don't know. There's a long list of history of God's interaction with his people requiring them to put their feet in the Red Sea first, and then he would cause them to walk on dry ground. 
them to put their feet into the Jordan and they would cross and go defeat their enemies on the opposite side. Fear is an enemy of our faith. Let's look at Psalm 20, verse 1. Say, fear not when you're there. May the Lord answer you if you are in distress. No. Let's read that again. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the Lord, the God of Jacob. There's that declaration again. We have distress and we have a reference to Jacob. Meaning that the reader of this psalm is going to see that he is the God who transforms Jacob into Israel. He is the God who hears the cry in the midst of distress and brings about his deliverance. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. As we begin to sacrifice our pride, sacrifice our self-sufficiency, we then are able to easily crush the fear that keeps us from receiving deliverance from on high. We are then able to receive that almighty heavenly power that brings about a transformation in our own hearts from being a supplanter, being a trickster, to now being a prince with God. But it's all based on the understanding of when you, not if you. Come on, let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 15. Woo! Mr. Rosales is quick there. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. Come on, everybody get there. Here we go. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kind of music. Somebody say, when you. When you. See, this is a when you kind of situation. When you hear the call of idolatry. When you hear the temptation to do something other than what God has said. Boy, it can sound like sweet music sometimes. It can sound like something that has kind of got a little catchy tune to it. The hook of a song that gets stuck in your head. I hadn't even heard it in a while, but I can start singing the song. It doesn't even have to be playing out loud in my speakers. I can just kind of wake up in the morning and have something going on in my mind or in my heart. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes of all kind of music, if you, somebody say, if you, if you, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. Boy, this is a wicked king saying, when you hear the melodious sound that I'm going to play for you, if you are ready to fall down and worship, fantastic. No problem between you and me. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately to, into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Church, we're trying to set up a little bit of a difference here for you. A win-you attitude is of kingdom mentality. I know that there's going to be problems. I'm not surprised by it. I'm not caught off guard by it. I don't feel like, oh, what has the Lord done to me? How, woe is me. I'm in difficulty. Of course you're in difficulty. Grow up when you get in a fight. You got to be ready for that. You got to be prepared for that. 
Today what God is trying to do is to move upon our hearts and to change our mentality, to wake us up, to be ready for the battles that are here today, yes, but that are going to be there tomorrow as well. A win-you mentality is a kingdom mentality. I'm going to have to fight. I might as well fight being fully equipped with the Lord because He will be with me. An if-you mentality is a worldly mentality. If I get in trouble, I guess I'll call out to God. No, see, because I know that it's when you, I'm calling out to God now. I'm just expecting it to happen. I'm like, Lord, uh, it's been a little quiet lately. Things have been going a little smoothly for me. You said when you, I'm ready for the fight. I'm ready to duke this out. I want to win. I want you to be with me. I want to know that you're with me. So where's the next fight, Lord? What do I need to do next, Lord? Am I, am I walking rightly within you, with you? Because if I am ready to hear and fall down, you know what happens? There seems to be no problems. If you are ready to fall down and worship, very good. If you are ready, yeah, this is the problem, is that this is a wicked man saying it. If you're ready to bow down and worship idols, fantastic. If you're ready to go and try to get as much money as you can, way to go. From the world's perspective. That's an if you mentality. What happens if you actually start doing it right and don't bow down? Then we got problems. Then the fiery furnace comes about. But this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. This is exactly what we're supposed to be walking in. It's saying, I got a win you mentality. Not an if you mentality. If you need a certain amount of money in your bank account or a certain number of accounts for you not to be afraid, you've probably already bowed down to the beautiful, melodious sounds of idolatry. If you need a certain amount of comfort, certain amount of rest, certain amount of me time, then perhaps you're getting lulled to sleep by the idolatrous tunes of the world. I don't mean for someone else somewhere else. I mean for us in this room. Come on. When you are seeking things. I love what Carlos and Patricia did this morning. Yeah. They said, hey, we told everybody that we thought the Lord was going to do this and we missed it. <laughs> My bad. Fantastic. They're going to do that better the next time. And what we should have all been to, there's not a man and a woman in this room, if you are godly at all, that went, Carlos. Patricia, what every righteous man and woman of God in this room did was like, wow, if if they just admitted that, that's not even bad as what I did today on the way to church. Wow, I've said that the Lord has told me a lot of things. It wasn't the Lord at all, and I never even acknowledged it. I never even thought about it. I just kept going on doing what I wanted to do. When you produces the God of all creation being with you, yes. if you causes the God of all creation to be against you, yes. man, God is with us when we are with him. Pastor, I can't help but think that a when you kingdom mentality causes you to constantly be evaluating your condition. An if you mentality is apathetic, lazy, and not addressing the constant issues of your heart. That's so good. Why are we always pushing for repentance? Let me display it in this. And this is something I'm sure all of you can relate to. 
Whenever you find out after church or get a phone call from one of us or our wives, hey, we want to meet with you guys in the next hour. What begins to happen? If you're a married couple, your mind is spinning. What do we need to get right? What, let's evaluate. Is it that argument that we had no, in private no. that they now know about? It goes like this. What'd you do? Yes, <laughs> exactly. What sin did you do, Cassidy, to cause this meeting? If it's a single guy, you're pointing to all your friends and everybody else. But you know, it's, it's not a matter of if you're going to meet with the pastors. It's when you're going to meet with the pastors. Come on, I should get a shout of amen for that. And if you know that eventually when you meet with the pastors, you're constantly going to be evaluating your condition. Well, that's, that's the safe zone. Meaning that we are providing for you the conditioning and the training of what it takes to actually go advance the kingdom of God outside of these relationships. What is it like now that you've been trained to constantly evaluate the state of your heart, the condition of your mind, and you're standing on the real battlefield in a situation that is bigger than you and your strength, and in that moment you can hear from God because you've been in constant training. You repented what you need to repent of. You invested and sowed the Word of God in you because you're preparing for the when you moment, not the if you moment. Luke 12, verse 11. Well, the Lord is with us this morning because this message is driving us to be with Him first. Luke 12, 11. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry. What's another way to say that, saints? Fear not. Fear not about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. I'll stop right there. Our minds are very good at planning. Planning future conversations and situations. I, I imagine so many times in my mind that that next confrontation I'm, I'm about to have, I'm making notes going, okay, when they say this, then I'm going to say this, and then they're going to retaliate with this. I'm going to quote this scripture, and I'm going to slay them. There's a microphone in my hand. I drop it. Walk right out the room. Debate and battle won. All right, now I can go to sleep. And then you show up and the boxing uh, adage comes true that everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. You don't have to worry about how to defend yourself if you are already seeking to be with God because the promise is that He will be with you. That in that moment, it's not about you saving or fighting for your reputation. It's about the Holy Ghost within you fighting for His name and His reputation. When we get in the way of God with our fear, we ruin His reputation. We don't increase His reputation. Hey, anybody ever uh, broken this verse right here? Anybody ever worried about what you were about to say? Yep. Anybody done that this week? Yeah, you're worried about what you're going to say. You're worried about how you're going to defend yourself. The Bible says, yeah, when you are brought before authorities on the job, in your home, with your family, in the world, wherever you are, you're going to be brought before authorities who are going to try to challenge you. Don't even worry about it. None. Here's your preparation plan. Um, When that happens, I'll ask the Lord and the Holy Spirit will help me. There's your plan. 
There's the entirety of your plan. But if you're afraid that he won't speak to you, when you are planning what you're going to say, when you're not listening to the person who's speaking to you because you're actually trying to formulate what you're about to say back to them, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. this is what I'm going to say. You're waiting and you're trying to prepare. Why? Because you don't want to look foolish because you're afraid of something, 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 something. You're not even listening. And the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. See, we say, oh, that's good. I know I'm not supposed to fear. And we do it every day, all day. It's so comfortable for us. We miss what the Lord is saying. Keep going, Pastor. Verse 12 says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. At that time. At that time. Right there. But the understanding is this. If you're swimming and soaking in fear beforehand, not only will you not listen to the person that you're speaking with, you won't even listen to the Holy Ghost. Because you are bowing down to the idolatry of your own fear and what you've already planned to say and defend yourself rather than relinquishing that ability to defend so that God can defend His name through you by His Word and not yours. I've, I've spoken... So many words trying to defend myself. Either sugarcoating it with flattery or being abrupt with my carnal nature. And none of it, none of it has borne fruit for God. But the way that I can tell when it's the Holy Spirit teaching me what to say at that time is that when it's done, I remember There's no possible way I could have done that. That wasn't me speaking. It wasn't my flesh speaking. It wasn't my soul speaking. That was the Holy Ghost giving me every word of what to say next. Because it was about His name and not my own. Turn with us to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Hebrews 10 and verse 32, it says this. Remember those early days after you received the light? When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Somebody say the face of suffering. suffering. Right in the face of suffering. See, now we're not just talking about waters and rivers and fires in a generic sense. We're actually going to get down to what it looks like in our lives. When you, what does this, when you look like in our ordinary day and time? Verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side by those who were so treated. You sympathize with those in prison and joyfully, somebody say joyfully, Joyfully. accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You didn't care about the possessions you had in this world because you were building possessions in the next. So do not throw away your confidence. When you yield to fear, you are throwing away your confidence. That has already been given to you. When you have to do these things. When you have engaged with this. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Somebody say persevere. Persevere. So that when you have done the will of the Lord. The will of God. You will receive what he has promised. What did he promise? To be with you. He promised to give you the victory. Folks this is just scripture. Plain as we can make it. This is as obvious as we can talk through it today with you. We are family together. We're trying to say, 
You can't be afraid because you should expect the when you moments to happen. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. In other words, he said, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. We have John interacting with a a transfigured and glorified state of Jesus. And while standing in God's presence, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That overwhelming weight of God's holiness, the overwhelming weight of his glory, it causes our flesh to immediately die thereby allowing the king to put his hand upon us and say, fear not. And he begins to state that I am the first and I am the last. I am the creator and I am the one who forms you. I am the living one. I was dead. We serve a king who has stood in the same place that we have, in the place of death, and has overcome that death so that he could put his right hand upon us with resurrection power and rise us up to stand before him without fear. That leading to having the same authority, access to authority of that same king who holds the keys of death and Hades. What message do we have to give to other people is that I was once dead, but the right hand of the king who has conquered death is now upon my shoulder. I've been resurrected and I am full of his life and the keys of Hades and death are now in his hands and thereby they're in my hands. I have his testimony working within me. Come on, let's look at Isaiah 43, 2 again. When you pass through the waters, like the Red Sea, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, like the Jordan River, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. The word for walk there in the Hebrew is halak, is the root word. The paleo for the word halak, how are you going to walk this out where you get halakha? How do you walk in the process of living before the Lord? Not just what you say, but how do you walk this out? Don't you need to know how to walk it out? Yes. It's one thing to, to think you know something. You can go to college and get a degree, and then what do you got to do? Walk you got to go out. learn how to walk it out in an actual job. Yeah. The paleo for halak is this. It is a revelation that you are yoked to with an open hand. A revelation that you are yoked to with an open hand. When you walk, when you start to learn how to walk in the revelation that God has given you. And you don't just walking in it, you are yoked to it. You have committed yourself to it. It's almost like we're hearing the realm of discipleship in this word. Yeah, it is. When we get discipled into this process of the revelation, we're able to hold it with an open hand. How do you hold it with an open hand? Because it's already upon you. It is yoked upon you. And you're walking in it so you can have an open hand ready to share that revelation with other people. Into that fire. When you're walking through the fire. You know what the paleo for fire is? It's a strong pressing. Anybody ever felt a strong pressure in your life? 
Anybody ever felt like you just can't quite breathe today? And it's not a physiological issue? Man, there are some days as your pastor, I love every day as your pastor. I, I, I love it. I wake up and I'm, not, I'm always excited. And there are some days where I'll be driving with Christy and I'm just going... And she's like, you okay? Yeah. Uh, I just can't breathe right now. Are you sick? Nope, not that kind of problem. I'm burdened for somebody. I'm praying for them. Maybe we're just walking through a fire and I'm feeling the fire that you're walking through. Maybe I'm walking through my own strong pressing. But the way to do that is to continue and move in it, to walk in it and learn that when I'm going through the waters, they won't overwhelm me. When I'm passing through the rivers, they won't sweep over me. And when I walk through the fire, I will not be burned. Why? Because he's with us in the fire. Turn with us to John chapter 12. We'll start in verse 27. As Pastor Wade is talking about that heavy weight on his chest. For a couple of years, we, would, we were wondering, you know, maybe it's our, our choices of diet. Our lack of exercise is causing some, you know, palpitations in our cardiovascular system. And we realize that no matter what level of change of diet or exercise, it's just the weight of God's calling. And responsibility for lives sitting upon our chest. And it wasn't something to be pushed off. It was something to be embraced. Because it's the very means in which God was forming us into pastors. It made us cry out in our distress. It's almost like living in the fire helps to form you or something. It's something like that. In similar fashion, verse 27 of John 12. Now my heart is troubled. troubled. It's that weight of ministry. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? I'm guilty. I am guilty of feeling the weight of responsibility. What God has called me to be. What He created me to be. What He is forming me in the moment. Requesting, Father, save me from this hour. The devil's attacking me. The answer is no. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Yes. You know what you need to tell your fear? No, in the name of Jesus. Like a rabid dog trying to get in my backyard. No, back up or I'm going to destroy you. You have to treat it like something that's coming to invade your land, to pillage the storehouses of revelation and call that God has put upon your life. And it's just that simple. You stare your fear in the face and you tell it, no, it's for this very hour I was created. It's in this very hour I am being formed. Father, glorify your name in this situation. I couldn't be more proud of the moments that I have participated in the lives of people in this church. That you have come face to face with trials and troubles. Your knees begin to buckle. You begin to get terrified. And then you find the strength and constitution of heaven that looks in that fear and says, no, in the name of Jesus. That inspires me. That makes me want to be a better pastor. That makes me want to be a better man. I need to imitate that kind of faith inside of you. And it's contagious. 
It spreads throughout the whole church. That we stood in opposition for two years. Opposition to life being born in this church. Miscarriage after miscarriage. And as a church, as a family, we stood up and we looked at that fear and we said no in the name of Jesus. We will fight however long, however hard we need to, but we're going to win. And we're standing right now in the fulfillment of those promises. That expectation of when you have seasons of battling to have children in this church. We're going to fight. We're going to rejoice that, Father, glorify your name now. And I know you will then. Let's look back at verse 27 again. Now my heart is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this reason that I came. See, the word already told me that when I get into difficulty, I was to expect it, but he'll be with me. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. <laughs> and I'm going to glorify it again. Yep. See, I've already brought glory to my name because I promised you that when you go through the fire, when you pass through the river, when you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to make you victorious. I've already glorified my name in you. I've already done it, and I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to do it again. See, the crowd, in the next verse, it tells us that the crowd, only some heard thunder. Some thought it was an angel that was speaking. But to those who understood the when you principle and to fear not, you know what they heard? They heard the voice of God saying, I've glorified my name, and I'm going to do it again in you. See, others can't hear and understand what we're saying. Those who don't understand what's going on, they're outside of this. They've never actually been created, and they're not in the formation process. They just hear rumblings. What are you saying? Wait, I'm supposed to have difficulty? Yes, you're supposed to have difficulty. But what about the churches? I don't care about them. I'm talking to you today. When you... See, those who have no fear heard the voice of God. I've used the waters. I've used the rivers. I've taught you how to walk in the fire. I told you to expect this from the very, very beginning of everything. Because that glorifies His name because He is forming something inside of you. Come on, church. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it again in you. See, when you, when you start to lose heart and you start to be afraid, whoa. Don't ask to be released from that. This is why you were put here. Stop asking to be released from the difficulties because it is the difficulties that are forming you. Do you want to be an immature, unformed believer? Then get out of every problem that you get in. Go ahead and ask him. See, but he's a good father and he wants you to go through this that you might be formed and formed rightly. Come on, this is a powerful thing that we're talking about today. Are you with us today? Turn with us and look in Isaiah 43 and look at verse 7. Everyone. Everyone who is called by my name. Does that leave out anyone? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. You were created... To display the glory of God. Something that we just echoed in John 12. Father, glorify your name. 
whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So we've been talking about created and formed, and now we're adding a third facet to this of made. But let me walk you through this. That when we are called by His name, we are called to have His testimony upon our shoulders. We're called to have His body of work. It's not about what we think we have been designed to do. It's about what He has designed us to do. You're created for a purpose and a plan. But it doesn't just stop with an understanding of what you're created for. The next process is you have to be formed into carrying it out. I have a plan to build a house, but it actually takes a forming of a foundation to begin to build that house. And the purpose is so that His pleasure and honor can be put upon you in your difficulties, through the waters, rivers, and fires, and that you can experience that full, mature formation of His plan and purpose for you. It's not in spite of difficulties, but because of difficulties that you are formed. Do you hear that? There's no other way to be formed into the mature fullness of what God created you to be outside of difficulties. And here are some things I'm just going to allude to. Isaiah 53.10 says that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's King James. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. We're speaking of the suffering servant. We're speaking of Jesus and of Israel. That without those difficulties... It was impossible for salvation to be formed and displayed through Israel and through Jesus. The ESV says the Lord is the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. It was the Lord's will and it pleased God for difficulties to be there because God knew the glory that would come about as the result of those difficulties. Hebrews 5.8 says Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. If it was our, our day and age, we would want it to say he learned obedience through the series of classes that he attended. He learned obedience by yoking his life to his pastor's OneNote page and copying it over into his OneNote page. Mm, that one stung, Pastor. I'm just keeping it real. That's what I do. The whole point is that discipleship formation is incomplete unless you suffer because that's how the perfect, flawless, sinless son of God was developed. In Isaiah 29, 16, it says this, you turn things upside down. You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. The Lord turns things upside down, folks. We want to get out of our problems, and he's trying to put us in the problems. We're trying to get out of difficulties, and he was like, nope, get right back in there. But it's hot. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and get right back in there, because that's where I'm forming you. Yeah. See, you can't get out of this oven. You can't get out of this fire, because you're not done yet. You haven't yet been made. You're in the process of being, you were created. You are being formed in the fire through the fire, through the waters, and then I can talk to you about what you've been made. You can start seeing what you were made for, but it's through the formation. You turn things upside down 
as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. See, he's not like us. He turns it, well, in his case, he turns it right side up, doesn't he? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? He did not make me. Can the pot say of the potter? He knows nothing. Aren't we doing that when we walk in fear? Yes. Aren't you doing that when you're trying to get out of the flame and you get out of the water and you're trying to get out of the river instead of understanding that you're supposed to fear not and work through those things? You're saying, yeah, Lord, I know that this is what your scripture says, but I prefer a different methodology for my own formation. That is the pot saying to the potter, you don't know what you're doing. You don't even have an idea. I, I, look, I mean, I know you created everything and all, but uh, I got it from here. I know you created me, but let me handle the formation process. What are you going to be made into if you fail at the formation process? (laughs) What we are working on today is getting our our ears rightly attuned, our eyes rightly attuned to the Lord, so that the enemy doesn't prowl around like a lion and devour people in this room who are trying to form themselves, trying to jump out of the formation process. No, I got it. This is just a preference that you guys have. Nope. That's you being a pot, looking at the potter and saying, you don't know anything. Wow. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. Verse 20. Say, fear not when you're there. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Mm. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? But as a father, there's nothing that gets my blood boiling quicker than a child who talks back. When I stated what I desire and my will is plainly, with no need of further explanation, and I get talked back, then comes the fire of my wrath. Then comes the slapback. <laughs> there needs to be a, a realignment of shalom in their heart, starting with their rear end. That, if that's something that I can relate to as a father, how much more when it's with the, our Heavenly Father? When we begin to go and throw this little in, inner temper tantrum, this fear that causes us to blame everybody around us while we're failing, and eventually blaming God. So truthfully, when you're blaming everybody else around you, you are blaming God. You are saying, why did you make me like this? You called me to do something and I'm not even gifted or anointed to do it. And it's just going to prove how, how, prove how much of a failure I really am. And the Lord's saying, who are you to talk back to me? Shut your mouth. Does the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purses, purposes and some for common use? Our father has the right to do whatever he wants to do with our lives because it never was ours in the first place. We've been redeemed. We don't have the right to form our own calling, to form our own development. He has that right. And let's just say, truth be told, he does a much better job of doing it than we do. 
What if the distinction between noble and common is your ability to overcome your fear? Come on. He can make out of the same lump of clay. It's the same content. It's the same stuff. What if it's not as much about some intergalactic choice that you have no power over and he just chooses some for this and some for this? What if he's watching you to see the material of the clay itself to be able to go, oh, this one, this one only fears me and fears not everything else. Man, I can make this one into something noble. That's great. See, this allows us to, to not lose heart like 2 Corinthians four sixteen says. Outwardly, we may be wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed. See, in Isaiah 43, 7, we're talking about the idea that we were created, that we've been formed into something, and that He has made us into something. Yeah. He's made us. Psalm 138, 8, let's put this on the screen, and hopefully it'll be the right translation here. Our ba- the, the computer does a good job here. Yep. The version that I wanted says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Yes, he will vindicate me. We talked about that earlier. He's absolutely going to do that. But what does it mean for him to vindicate it? It means he's going to fulfill his purpose in you. That is the vindication from the Lord. You love, uh, your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Hey, Lord, I'm going to stay in the fire. I'm going to stay in the water. And you're going to form me. You're going to establish me. You're going to cause this to work out the way that it's supposed to. You're going to make me into something. If I just stay in the fire, you will make me into something. Yes. Psalm chapter 90 in verse 17, a psalm of Moses says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Wait, listen. Establish the work of our hands for us. You see how this works? If you stay in the fire, what happens is he gets to establish and make you into something. He will establish the work of your hands for you. Yeah. Come on now. That's good. Yes. Let me just say it again. Establish the work of our hands. This is what Moses is saying, and it's a beautiful piece. As we pick up in verse 8 of Isaiah 43, we see the next step in this process. And that lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. And the process is this. You have recognized that the God of Jacob that transforms into the God of Israel has created you and is forming you through the process of trials and difficulties in order to make you into something that is worthy of leading other people. Making you a a means of proclaiming to those who cannot hear have ears but are deaf, who have eyes but are blind. Our responsibility is to lead others out of the same condition that we were just created, formed, and made from. But if you begin to try and bypass the process of being formed and go do ministry out on your own before you've actually been made into something, you're not going to lead those who have eyes but are blind. You're just going to join in their blindness. You're not going to be able to declare and proclaim precisely who God is to those who have ears but are deaf. Because you're not listening yourself to what God is doing in the forming process. Verse 9. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of them foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove that they were right. So that others may hear and say it is true. Verse 10. You are my witnesses. Yeah. You. 
in this room. You are the witnesses of the Lord. His testimony has been put into you. You know why? Because you were created for a purpose. He called you by name. And what he's done is he is forming things in you. You're being made into something. And you can go, yep, I can testify. I've got a testimony of what the Lord has done, is doing, and will do in my life. This is he, this is the Lord saying, you are my witnesses. Come on, we've got to be formed so that we can become the right witnesses for the Lord. That his testimony may be birthed and grow in us. We've got to learn not to be afraid, to fear not, and trust in his ability to get the desired outcome out of our lives. See, you've got to be the witness. Can I get a witness in here? You got to be a witness and a testimony. See, the same God who led them through the Red Sea, the same God who put them through and led them through the Jordan River, who took Daniel out of the fires that were there, the three Hebrew children. But now in my life, I have a personal testimony that I can offer to the Lord because I just stayed in the fire where I was supposed to. Amen. As we continue in Isaiah 43, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am He. For your, your uh, Bible students, that's a very important phrase of I am He. It is Yahweh. I am that I am. And the purpose is that the servant of God whom He has chosen may know, believe, and understand that He is who He is. And that before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. You know what fear does? Fear counters that statement and says there is a Savior outside of the Lord. It's this alternative way of salvation. It's an alternative way of making sure that you control the outcome instead of God controlling the outcome. Verse 12 picks up with some hope. I have revealed... And saved and proclaimed. Say revealed. Revealed. Say saved. Say. Say proclaimed. Proclaimed. We're going to begin to relate these items together. Let's put up the slide that we have. So we started with created. Then we moved through formed. And then landing on made. And what we just read in verse 12 corresponds with those same three things. That created comes through a process of having God revealed to you. In that revelation, it has caused you to then join in being formed, which means in that fiery furnace, you are being saved again and again and again. That salvation is not a one-time experience of acknowledging God and then living your life the way you want to for the rest of your life. It is a constant state of dependency of His salvation because there is no other Savior. By depending on His salvation day after day, it causes you to be fully formed and matured, which then leads you to being made into something worth proclaiming to the nations around you. What is it like when you've gone through years of various difficulties and your co-workers, your families have witnessed you struggling through these things, thought you were crazy and occult and completely out of your mind? But time has proven that the God who saves does save. And he saves those who are fully trusting in him and completely obliterating their own fear. Come on, that's having something to proclaim, isn't it? Your life is the proclamation. Once you've been made into something, your life screams out unto the Lord. 
What, how much he has loved you. The fact that he has called you and said, you are mine. You have an open hand of what you can give. This is a powerful thought today. Come on, you got to be created. That revelation, that preciousness of the redemption process has to be seen in your life. When you are formed, it is the process of you be being saved to continually need him every single day. God, what an honor that is. What an honor it is to be called into a daily life, into a daily walk with Him, that you might daily put upon the yoke of salvation, the yoke of discipleship, that you can become something, that you can be moved, that once He creates and forms you, you have something to proclaim at that point. The rest of the verse in Isaiah 43, 12 says, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you, I'm telling you, you know me. God's saying, you know me. You, I just helped you through the waters. I helped you through the rivers. I've been with you in the fires. Not some foreign God. You are my testimony. You are my witness, declares the Lord, that I am God. As we get ready to close here, I want to read to you out of 1 Peter 4, 12. 1 Peter 4, 12. I I want you to hear this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. Now, you could look at this and just think that Peter just kind of invented this. Or you could realize that Peter understood exactly what Isaiah was proclaiming. This Isaiah, by the way, who was sought in two to get this word to us. Hebrews 11 tells us that. That that as we get here, he's saying, yeah, don't be surprised. Because you should already know that when you walk through the waters, when you walk through the rivers. When you walk through the fire, I'm going to be with you. You're not going to get overwhelmed because I'm going to be with you. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Has anyone in this room ever acted like it was something strange when difficulty occurred? I have. How is it that we do that? Don't you love the word of God? It's just so plain and it hits us and it pierces us. Look at verse 13. Instead of acting like it's strange, the word that came forth from Cassidy this morning during worship. But rejoice. The working of you being made into something is that you can rejoice in difficulties. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And as you're rejoicing, you will learn that you will be overjoyed when His glory, that same glory that the very voice of the heaven said, yes, I will glorify my name. I have glorified my name and I'll do it again. That you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed in us. Let's stand to our feet. What the Lord has strongly highlighted to us as we study this. is the need to crush fear, to fear not, particularly in the forming process of trials and difficulties. This was hitting our own hearts personally, causing us to repent and rise up to replace fear with faith. As I begin to pray, you know those areas of fear 
where you haven't conquered with faith. Those areas that are directly in opposition to the forming process that God keeps leading you to again and again, and you keep running from. You keep trying to sidestep. Today, I want to respond to the Lord's strong call to fear not. And fear not particularly in the formation process. And it's going to lead us somewhere. First, to recognize our divine creator's plan by the revelation that he has given us in being born again and who he's called us to be. The name that he summoned us by. If you're wrestling just with that first process of not having a relationship with the living God through that revelation, or through creation, being born again, then now is the time to be born again. Why waste any more time standing on the outside wondering if God is for real, if this is for real? We are walking and living examples of what Jesus can do to transform a life and bring you in right relationship with him and other people. No more questioning about it. That will then enable you to experience the forming process that allows you to experience salvation again and again and again. And as that fear is crushed here at that altar, and you're embracing the forming process, you're crying out for salvation, and God is responding to you with encouragement of how to endure and persevere in this. You will become mature and complete, not lacking any good thing, and able to be made into an instrument and display of His glory that proclaims to the nations, that proclaims to everyone around you that you are a witness that God is real. So it's a three-step process. We're going to recognize what God has created us to be. We're going to embrace the forming process that He is doing in our lives. Then we're going to stand up and recognize what He is making us to be to proclaim with praise the good that he's allowing us to endure and display his glory through. So mighty God, right now we lay our hearts on the altar and we ask that your word and spirit sift through our hearts and our minds. Let fear be brought to the surface so that it can be crushed and we fear not any longer the things that stand opposed to your development of us being formed into the likeness of who you are. Lord, let us be found and made complete and mature in this process. Not rushing, not pushing it any quicker than it needs to happen. But that you may be formed complete inside of us. And we be worthy to carry your name on our shoulders. And the glory of who you are shine to everyone who sees us. We say, Holy Spirit, come and move. Come and move now in this room. Move on the hearts that are stubborn. Move on the hearts that are prideful. The hearts that are fearful. And let this idolatry be crushed. And lives and hearts surrender to you.